It has been six months since COVID-19 changed life as we know it. But how exactly COVID has changed the mastered scene is what we are about to explore. I'm Lee Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media, and this is In Camera Podcast. podcast private legal marketing conversations grace another week we're back how are you good how are you leo i'm good i can see by your face grace you're busy and that's always a good thing i'm happy when i see you busy i've been busy myself and so you know just to keep up with everything happening we need to be timely with this conversation why because we have a very special guest joining us back grace so why don't you do the honors of introducing him to the audience So I'm super excited to invite somebody back and have him back on our podcast. We are thrilled to welcome back attorney Don Worley from the McDonald Worley Law Firm to our show for a conversation on mass torts in 2020. Attorney Worley is a founder of a personal injury law firm based out of Houston, Texas, with offices in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Washington, D.C., and New York. He has been listed in both the Times and Newsweek magazines as a prominent leader in the legal world. Amongst his many accomplishments, he also won a $100 million judgment on behalf of a client, which earned him a place in the Million Dollar Advocates Forum, as well as Best Attorneys of America. Don, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Don, thank you very much for joining us again. Um, let's start with where is this podcast finding you now? Uh, I'm in the Houston office, which is our main office. And and also, we added a office close to Grace there in Fort Lauderdale, uh, Miami area. Uh, we, we're covering Miami and Fort Lauderdale, but the office is actually in Fort Lauderdale. But we had uh, quite a few uh, mass tort cases there and, and also, unfortunately, victims of nursing home abuse. Uh, there's no excuse for elder abuse, as I say. And so we have a lot of those people have called us and needed our help because their loved one had not been taken care of properly in a nursing home. So we had a lot of those in Florida. And then um, also some, in, I know you're not going to believe this, but insurance companies did not want to pay claims uh, when someone's house was, uh, you know, damaged by wind damage from a hurricane or rain and they didn't want to pay. So they've asked for our help in that as well. So we needed a local office there. So we're now in uh, Fort Lauderdale area. Well, wow. Congratulations on the expansion. And I'm sure the market will appreciate your presence there. And so Don, let's start there with what you're saying that you uh, identified a surge in cases or claims uh, of elderly abuse in Florida. Does anything have to do here with COVID or with the developments that came up this year with the pandemic? Yes, we have a lot of cases where nursing home residents passed away from COVID because no precautions were taken. And nursing homes are across the country and, and owners of nursing homes are rushing to pay lobbyists to try to go to legislatures and say, hey, please pass a law that says we're not liable if someone dies in our nursing home from COVID. And But I will tell you, my, my own mother is in a nursing home who took great precautions not to let COVID and to test their employees and give policies and procedures to their employees to help prevent COVID from coming in. And if someone got it, you know, keeping them, segregating them away from the other residents of the nursing home. So 
basically if it's done right, um, you know, it could have been prevented, but the ones who did nothing to prevent COVID, of course, their elderly, uh, patients are going to get it and pass away from it. So that's, that's what happened across the country. And we have quite a few of those cases in addition to this, the normal, um, what I call elder abuse, um, you know, where they didn't monitor them. They had bed sores, they fell because they were not monitored is basically, it really boils down to an understaffing issue. They just don't spend the money to have enough staff there to monitor and take care of the residents. Right. And so this was one of the things, Grace, that we've been talking about, right? You know, the impact that COVID may have in the new type of cases and claims that may come as a consequence of the pandemic and COVID-19. Don, are there any other areas where you are starting to see claims that are related to the actual pandemic? Other areas, not necessarily nursing homes, other places? Yeah, we have a lot of restaurant owners who some of them even went out of business, unfortunately. And you may have seen that in your community where your favorite restaurant's no longer there. Um, and they had purchased what's known as business interruption insurance that says, hey, if something happens to my business and it's interrupted, they'll pay me. Well, they're not paying. And those are really, really difficult cases. I'm taking them just to try to help them. Uh, some of them were my friends, by the way, who own these restaurants. We're trying to help them. Um, but the insurance companies are saying, well, there's no physical damage to your property, so we don't have to pay. Or we put in there that if it's related to a virus, we don't have to pay. So typical insurance companies not wanting to pay. And um, I mean, even even leadership in our country and a lot of legislators have said, hey, the insurance companies should really pay because uh, they have the in they paid premiums for this coverage. Now they're not even in business and they're not getting any money from the insurance company. So. That's a, it's a tough road because of the language of the policy. Some cases have been allowed to continue. Some cases haven't, but we're trying to fight for it. But yes, that's another issue that came up from COVID is businesses that, that purchase business interruption insurance and then the insurance company refuses to pay. And so they've unfortunately closed their doors. And since we're already in the topic here of COVID and the pandemic, do you foresee, are you starting to see opportunities on areas that have not yet started to file claims that have not necessarily, it, it hasn't been that evident that they may be subject to litigation as well, but is, do you anticipate that there, this is just the starting point, like there, is, there's going to be more coming through, whether it's, again, in the restaurant industry, people at some point, will there be able to say, hey, well, I went to dine at the restaurant and I, don't, I didn't see people taking enough precautions to protect me against COVID and I got COVID there. Will that be something that may potentially generate new types of cases? Well, it, it will, but those, you know, those are tough also because it's really hard to pinpoint where you got COVID. So that, those are tough. But yes, have, some have arisen in the workplace area that said, I got COVID. By, you made me come to work and I got COVID because you didn't right. have the right precautions. But those are difficult cases because you can't really. A nursing home resident only got it at the nursing home because they didn't go anywhere else. So yeah. that, but if you go out to a restaurant and you've been to 12 restaurants, and you've been to a bar and you've been to the pool and you've been to your friend's house for a party, it's hard to say where you got COVID. Uh, so those will be tougher cases, but yes, some workplace issues are starting to come up. Now I have not seen any against restaurants mainly because there's really no money to get from restaurants right now and their insurance right. and the insurance is not paying. So those are going to be really tough cases. I haven't seen any against third parties, we call them like restaurants, et cetera. I've really only seen them in the workplace and arise in the workplace um, and also arising um, 
from the restaurants for uh, non-payment of the business interruption insurance. So um, I had sort of like one more question, and it was a little bit related, but maybe not. Um, I'd heard something very interesting. Have you seen anything with regards to MedMal? And the reason I'm asking that specifically is because I know that they were talking about um, how it COVID reduces your immune system, right? And so what if they gave you medication because you have psoriasis or you didn't have, or you you have something that will further lower your immune system? Have you seen anything related to that? I just heard it briefly and it's more of just a, a question on my end to tell you the truth. Yeah, those are difficult because um, I will tell you that I had COVID and I went to Methodist Hospital here in Houston, Texas, based on a recommendation of a doctor a few months ago. And they gave me a blood plasma transfer, which is blood of someone of my blood type who had already survived COVID and had the antibodies. They gave it to me one night. The next morning I was fine walking around in my room saying, hey, when can I go? And they discharged me at noon. But I had to sign that I was part of a study because the FDA hadn't approved that yet. Now, Grace and I and, and Shai here on the call too, we're all in the business of making sure pharmace pharmaceutical drugs are safe and medical devices are safe. But I just didn't see why blood plasma would not be approved. I mean, the worst case scenario, in my opinion, I'm no doctor, I'm a lawyer, but blood clots, but they give you a blood thinner when they give it to you. So I don't know why this wasn't being done, but the FDA just approved it, I think, last week. I could be wrong. Maybe it was two weeks ago. But within the last two weeks, the FDA came out and said, OK, we approved blood plasma transfers for COVID. I just don't understand why it, it wasn't used on other people. And I think it could have saved a lot of lives by putting the antibody in your body. It just makes common sense as well. But with that said, if the FDA hadn't approved all the treatments yet, these doctors were just trying all kinds of different things. And so I, I think a medical malpractice case is going to be difficult because there was no set cure for COVID. You can't say the cure was X and you didn't give it to me because it wasn't clear. And it's still not clear as we sit here today. Yes. Yes. Blood plasma worked for me, but is it going to work for Jim or Johnny or Jamie? And we, I don't know, maybe it won't work for them. And then they have to have alternative treatment. So unless there's, you know, it's easy to say, Mr. Doctor, you had surgery on me and you left a sponge inside of me. And that gave me an infection and caused more problems. I had to have another surgery to have it taken out. That's one thing. But you didn't give me the proper COVID care. I don't know who's going to testify that the standard of care for COVID was XYZ because it's still unclear. Ah, standard of care. We learned a little bit about that last week. Right. Uh, that makes sense. <laughs> if, you know, if you don't know what the standard of care is, it's hard to prove that you breached it. That's all I'm saying. That makes perfect sense. Okay. So yeah. that kind of brings me to what the whole conversation is really going to be about, which is the recent settlements um, and what's going on with mass torts this year, right? Uh, so the recent talc and roundup settlements, can you just tell me a little bit about that? And talc, let's start with talc, because I know that's still going and they pulled, uh, pulled it off the shelves. They voluntarily pulled it off the shelves. They didn't recall it. They haven't done anything specific as to say that we did this, Johnson & Johnson. Um, so do you mind just talking a little bit about that and what's going on with it? Right. I mean, there has been no Johnson & Johnson settlement, just to be clear. Um, there is a supplier by the name of Emrys who set aside $132 million to put into bankruptcy court as sort of a bankruptcy trust to pay out to individuals to kind of control their liability in the whole situation. But Johnson & Johnson has not yet 
settled these cases and not sure what all has happened, but yes, there has been some money set aside for victims who uh, got ovarian cancer by using talcum powder. So there has been some money set aside. It's going through just recent bankruptcy. So it'll take a while to get it all done, but that was a supplier who put the money in. So that's what that, what you read about in the paper about a talc settlement, that's what's happening so far. I see. Okay. Um, and then I also saw a little bit of information about Roundup and I know that it's kind of closing out. I hear some people saying it's closing out, others saying it's done. Can you tell me a little bit about Roundup and what's going on with that? Yeah, that's a little, um, Monsanto and Bayer can't really decide if they want to settle these cases or not. They, but they did announce a settlement as everyone read in the newspaper of $10 billion to set aside. And then some of you read recently that they're saying, well, wait a minute, we don't really want to settle. And some settlements are falling apart. And I, from what I understand, um, you know, we are moving forward with, uh, with ours. But what I understand is that the settlement discussions are not being very fruitful now because they're offering way less money uh, than everyone anticipated that they were going to offer. So that's what is happening. That's what you read about in the paper of some of the settlements are falling apart and not going through. So I guess they just need to, as the quote said from another lawyer, other than me, they just need indecision is their biggest problem. They need to decide what they want to do and whoever owns shares and the hedge fund that owns the most shares is trying to push all this through. They need to need to tell the, you know, the officers and directors that we need to settle this case. So that's what needs to happen. If not, then just start trying the cases again and go back and don't say you're don't announce to the world you're settling if you're not really doing it. So that was a quote in the paper. I'm not saying anything that someone else has not already said, but, but yes, they did set aside money and there are settlements going forward and that's where we are right now. So Don, is it fair to say that Roundup is kind of like done, right? There's there's no more to, to explore there. Whatever it's already on the table may or may not come to the desired resolution, but there's really no more digging further to find out more cases for that, right? Oh, it's still being sold every day and there's still cases being filed. So, and there's still a lot of lawyers signing them up and taking them and prosecuting them. So I don't know that that's true. Um, I think if you once you settle your cases as a, as a law firm and a lawyer and all your clients, you say, we're going to take this and yeah, you can't go out and do any more, but there's a lot of firms that have not settled their cases and are still taking them and prosecuting them. And it's not like they pulled it off the Home Depot or Lowe's shelves. They're still selling it. The reason why we're um, treating it that way is because we've seen quite a significant decline in the interest of roundup cases in search in search term volumes over the past few months, both through Google Organic and Google Ads. And so that's kind of like leading us to the conclusion that there is less interest from law firms in general for a, for a master that uh, a few years ago or even a, up to a year ago had a lot of hype behind it. So is it fair to say that at least it's losing momentum? I would say yes, and I'll tell you why. At least the plaintiff lawyers, as we call them, lawyers like me who represent the individuals that are harmed by Roundup, we are making a good faith effort to resolve these cases. And so it doesn't look good for me to go on TV and say, on the one hand, to be trying to negotiate settlement and say, let's get this closed out and let's get these clients their money and let's get all this past us. And then for me to go on TV saying, have you been injured by Roundup and have ovarian cancer, send me a case. So we're making a good faith joint effort to try to get this resolved on our side. That's what, that's why less cases are being signed up and prosecuted by our side. Understood. Now, those 
are uh, the masters that may not have a lot of momentum going on. But what about masters that are gaining momentum, right? So we're really seeing since the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020, a real interest on Zantac. Where are we with regards to that master? And is it as promising as it seems? Um, it's really just getting started. An MDL with multi-district litigation, it was consolidated and set up that just recently happened which will help it move a little faster uh, because all the cases are being one place now over with one judge overseeing the process, but it's still a very uh, new, you know, a new tort, a new campaign, a new litigation. So it'll take a while. We have to have, you know, what's known as a Dalbert hearing, or some people may say, pronounce it a, a different way other than me, but uh, that's how we say it in Texas, uh, Dalbert hearing to, to get all the experts on each side to testify. And our side will say, yes, it caused these cancers. And their side will say, no, it didn't. And then the judge will decide whether it gets to go forward or not. And then if the case survives the Dalbert hearing and goes forward, well, then that'll be good news for the people who have been harmed by Zantec. But we still have to have that. And then there'll be what's known as the bellwether trials where each side picks certain cases that are going to go to trial as an example, as a sample case to be tried. Um, in front of juries to see what juries think about it. So there's still a long way to go in the process, um, you know, unless of course the manufacturer decides to put it all behind him and work out a deal now, but so far that hasn't happened. Zantac, as you say, it's an early stage, but a lot of factors are pointing out that there is, that there could be potential there. Now, are there any other masters that have recently emerged over the past few months or this year that are not getting that much attention yet you're seeing potential in them, that they're coming strong. I mean, we have recently talked, Grace, about a firefighter's home. We have talked about Boy Scouts of America. We have talked about quite a few things happening right now. But we don't really know if uh, any of these really have some some meaningful potential behind them. Well, meaningful potential as far as opioid cases, individual opioid cases, and Boy Scout cases of Boy Scouts who, you know, young boys who were abused when they were a member of Boy Scouts organization by uh, a leader in, in Boy Scouts. Those those have money that has been set aside in bankruptcy court. The same as what we talked about a few minutes ago about talc. Boy Scouts of America, they're you know they have only so much money. They have insurance, but they put money. They set up a bankruptcy court. Uh, they filed bankruptcy. It's in bankruptcy court, and the claims are being processed. And I believe it's going through October now, or maybe November. I don't know the exact date of the final deadline. And opioid, if you were an individual and you took opioid and became addicted to it and were harmed by, you know, any painkillers that are considered opioids, uh, that had a bankruptcy action set up also. The deadline came and went on June 30th for those claims. But yes, that's a viable. When there's money set aside in bankruptcy, how much will each person get? We don't know, but they will get something if they meet all the requirements of the claim. So yeah, those were two things that were we were working hard on the opioid. Now we're working hard on Boy Scouts because the deadline's coming up for anyone who was uh, sexually abused while they were a Boy Scout. So yes, those are. That's what we're working hard on right now, and we're still working on hard on a, a hernia mesh, which was used to repair hernias, um, and those were defe- those have been found to be defective and proven to be defective, and we're moved forward on those, and we're still uh, prosecuting all of those cases, and they have not been formally settled yet. So there's still no deadline, and we're taking those, and there's MDL set up for. Uh, different types of manufacturers, different types of the devices set up in different places. So I would say the long answer to your question is, yes, 
It was opioids this year, and now it's Zantac, Boy Scouts, and hernia mesh. And there are IVC is still open as well. IVC filters have um, shown to be not more harm than good uh, because they can break inside your body and cause all kinds of problems or be where they're not supposed to be. And so those IVC filter, hernia mesh, uh, Zantac, and Boy Scouts are all moving forward this year. Um, in addition to the ones we talked about already on the show. How, how about Juul, right? Juul also last year had a tremendous hype at some point. Where is it standing right now? You know, I'm not heavily involved in that. Um, not saying that I will, but we are, our firm is, we work with other attorneys. And so other attorneys send us their cases and we work on them together and we're the handling firm or the trial firm. And so a lot of those firms you see that are advertising, uh, they get the cases originally, and a lot of them have not joined forces with us yet on those cases. We have a handful of them, but um, it seems like most of the cases that are coming across are people that became addicted because it's you're injecting more nicotine than you are in regular cigarettes. And so a lot of young people have come heavily addicted to it. And then there's also some that have been physically injured. There's this, uh, you know, lung, people's lungs have been injured, and they're still trying to figure it all out medically and scientifically about why that happens that some people's lungs are affected by it. And then also there's just some of them explode and they're harmed with when it blows up in their mouth. So there's several different theories that are going about right now. I'm not the expert on it, but that's what's going on with it. But I can't give you an update on it because our firm is not one of the leaders in that litigation. Okay. That kind of leads me to the next question or, you know, session of what we're talking about here. And that is what kind of mass torts are, what do you feel the ones that are not sort of living up to the hype? The ones that we're involved in heavily are, are working out the way we thought they would. I mean, I, some of them have run into some difficulties. I mean, like the way I see things, the way they work out are not always the same. But like when I saw an IVC filter, for example, if the FDA says it really should come out because it does, doesn't really benefit you in any way and it can harm you, basically it's like a ticking time bomb inside of you. Uh, but the defendants, some of them have argued, well, if you, ha you have no personal injury, if there's nothing wrong with it right now. Um, so there's been, I never anticipated that because it's basically a ticking time bomb. The FDA said it needs to come out. And so um, basically it, it's going to be hard for people that haven't had it removed yet to recover any kind of money. And it's just scary because it's left inside of them. And so I didn't really see that coming. I thought that, you know, there and there is some compensation on the settlements that are being negotiated now for what we call implant only. In other words, it's inside your body. But, but you know, that's what I tell the clients all the time. It's not, we don't take that position, but at the end of the day, this is a defective product case. And if you keep the defective product inside of you, then you're not really going to get much money. It's like if you bought something at Walmart and you took it back and said, hey, this is defective. I'm going to keep it, but I want you to give me some my money back too. That's not how the world works, unfortunately. So if you keep a defective product, you're just, you're not going to get much of a settlement and the jury's not going to give you much money because they say if it was so bad, you would have it taken out of it. So that's the, that's the tough reality of it. Yeah, it's true. And you don't know how certain things might shake out. Not a hundred percent. I mean, you can always know the science and everything behind it, but yeah, I guess I could see what you're saying. It's just some things that just don't pan out exactly right. the way you were expecting them to. So uh, to be mindful of your time, I thank you so much for everything that you've, we've discussed. Um, but normally at the end of our conversation, we have what we call three takeaways. Um, we'd like to ask you for three takeaways, three actionable items that a law firm, paralegal, and another attorney 
can take from this conversation and um, either act on or just mull over? Um, what are three kind of takeaways from you that you well, feel we can? We talked about COVID earlier, and I know everyone's tired of hearing it. And, and actually, now that I've already had it and been over it, I feel like it's sort of in my rearview mirror. So when I go to places like California and a hotel's still not open or a restaurant's not open on the inside, I'm like, you know, because I feel like it's in my rearview mirror, but it's not. It's still here. And so I would encourage um, there's people that are we're still protecting other people from COVID. And so if your law firm's open and everyone's working at your law firm or your work, just wear a mask. I do. I even have one that says uh, McDonald Worley here. Uh, I have our logo, on, our logo on our phone number. I've already had COVID. I have the antibody. I want one. But I wear it everywhere I go, including the office when I'm walking around the office. Why do I do that? To be an example for everyone else and also to make everyone else feel comfortable. Because if I'm around them with no mask, they don't know I've already had COVID. So be respectful of other people and you know, wear, wear a mask, wash your hands and do the things that you're supposed to do, regardless of whether you're not concerned about it, you've already had it, or you just don't think you're going to get it. And so that's, we talked briefly earlier in the, in the podcast about, you know, organizations taking steps to keep people from having COVID. And that's one of the things you can do yourself is, especially if you're a, a, you're the owner of the firm or one of the lawyers in the firm is just play by the rules, wear your mask, wash your hands and encourage your, your staff to do so. And, that's one takeaway that, that we can do is, is play by the rules. And the other takeaway is that, you know, if you're looking into get into mass torts, then the ones that we talked about, there's still time to help Boy Scouts out. There's still time to help people that have been harmed by hernia mess. There's still time to help people that are harmed by IVC filter. Um, so still, still time to hurt people, help people that have been harmed by talc. And so I, I, if you're wanting to get into it, that's one way that those, some of the, some of the cases you can get involved in now. Well, thank you so much, Don. First of all, we're sorry to hear that you have to go through COVID, but we're happy to hear that you are now doing great, looking great as always. And we are hoping that we, well, next time we get to see you is in person at either one of your events or at one of the conferences where we potentially can be all there at the same time. But until then, thank you again for so much insights and knowledge and stay safe. Thank you, Don. Bye. Grace, it's always uh, great to talk to Don, right? It's always illuminating. He has yeah. a whole other perspective on some of these things. Honestly. Yeah, I agree. And he's a straight shooter, right? Like he makes his point very clear and very fast. And that's why a conversation with him, even when it's a short one, it's very effective and you learn a lot. So I certainly have a lot of things to take away with me as part of this conversation, Grace. And also kind of comes to show, right, how us from the marketing side, after a master, for instance, has reached a certain point, like we kind of detach from it, but that doesn't mean that the master is done, right? Like it was interesting to hear how much work and how much effort is still going into, for instance, Roundup, right? I know. That for many of us that we've been marketing for it and we're no longer are, it's kind of like it's done and dusted and nobody's heard about it for months now. And it's not really the reality, right? It's still an ongoing thing happening. And there's people that are still hoping to be able to benefit from a potential settlement. So Grace, what takeaways do you have? So I think I'd like to just revisit the one at the very beginning again, COVID, right? Be COVID safe. Um, I know we're all, we are all tired of it. I'm super tired of it. I'm, I'm in Florida. You're in Texas. He's in Texas. You know, I think we're all 
a little exhausted of the same over and over, but you still got to be safe. You, 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 we don't know what this thing is. We still have to be safe. And it, even if you had it like Don did, as he said, you're, you're being safe for other people too. You're being conscious of what other people are going through. You're being conscious of everyone around you. So just be COVID safe in your office and your, in your, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, try to make sure that you just maintain the rules and regulations as best you can in, in the way that you're supposed to. That's all. Yeah, Grace, I, nothing to add there. A little effort makes such a difference, right? Let's hope that we can all pull through together and make this a thing of the past in the near future. So I think the second takeaway, at least for me, um, and you know, feel free to add, of course, Liel, with this whole thing, with mass torts, just in general, um, it goes back to what you just said before the COVID comment and takeaways that we just gave. And it's, you don't know if it's done. It may not necessarily be done unless unless it's been pulled off the shelves or unless, you know, really there's a lot of variables that go into mass torts. So don't think it's done necessarily. You reach out to your resources, reach out to, you know, uh, Jacobino and Lake, reach out to people like that, that know what's kind of going on can help you kind of decide where to go and, you know, reach out to companies like leaders and mass torts that will give, give you information on what's happening with the tort. If there's a Dow bear or Daubert, that's what he was referring to in terms of the, uh, the litigation that goes on for the mass torts um, and why he said that it's pronounced differently, but uh, Daubert or Daubert. So there's a lot of things that have to go on before a mass tort is quote unquote viable per se yeah. And, and MDLs, right? So you don't know. You don't know if it's done yet. And so don't think of it as, oh my goodness, it's done. Like I, I can't do anything anymore. Um, now, also do think, obviously, like he said, Roundup, the reason um, they may not be going after certain ones, let's say maybe not Roundup specifically, but a specific tort, because they want it to be settled, right? They want it to settle. They want it to help the people that got harmed by it. And so to go out and after they already said, meaning Bayer and Monsanto have already said that they are going to settle as a law firm to go out and continue advertising for something that is supposed to be settling does is it's not only not a good look necessarily, it's just, you are not showing that you have faith in what's happening and they can then turn around and make it a problem for you as a law firm. And you won't, might not be able to help your clients to the best of your ability. So that's just kind of another way to look at when a mass tort is happening, when it's ending and everything in between. Pay yeah. attention, you know, ask questions and research. Absolutely. I mean, if one thing that has come up every single time we talk about mass torts is that they're complex and you definitely need to have a lot of inside information in order to be able to make good decisions, right? I can't stop being amazed by the complexity of masters and how complex and thorough is the process mm. of taking them, leave alone through their entire cycle, but just from one stage to another stage, right? Yeah. And so that's why I always, whenever I, the conversation like this comes up, I always refer to, you know, Jacobino and Lake and really associations that can actually guide you through that. Otherwise, it's really not that viable as you've said grace yeah it's Just not to easy. find out your your way on your own there it really you need, you is have good guidance yeah you do you became an attorney to help people right and you had to go through a lot of schooling to understand this mass torts is another side and the, the process of mass torts is its own 
animal and beast. And so you need to understand it. And in understanding it, you can help your clients better too. And you can help yourself, right? Because I th- that kind of leads me to my last takeaway. And I actually just came up with it as we were talking, um, because it's something I tell people all the time whenever they, um, you know, uh, talk to us about uh, mass torts and it's diversify, diversify, diversify. Do not put your eggs all in one basket. Do not put all your time, effort, and money and helping all of Zantac because you don't know what's going to happen with Zantac. You need to diversify yourself across a different portfolio of cases to make sure that your firm can continue to help all the people that need the help without completely putting all of your assets into one particular tort. Diversify. Yeah, Grace, absolutely. I mean, that's another one that has come up so frequently here in so many different contexts. But uh, at the end of the day, it, it, you're right, right? It's not enough just diversifying your marketing as a whole and just getting into one mastered. It has to be a selection of mastered. It needs to be few of them because while some may perform well, some may not. And I honestly, you know, I say perform here almost kind of like taking away terminology from the stock market into the mastered In because mm-hmm. I can, I it's it's so impressive the similarities that there are between masters and the stock market that I can't stop being amazed by it. You have to mitigate your risk, right? Mitigating your risk. That's basically what we're talking about. I agree, Grace. Mm -hmm. Well, Grace, thank you and Don for another great conversation. We'll be back next week. Something new to talk about. Okay. Bye. Have a great week. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe Tell your co-workers, leave us a review, and send us your questions at ask at incamerapodcast.com. We'll see you next week.